Support for the following podcast comes from Mental Health Speakers Lab, an online course and coaching program for clinicians that will establish you as a speaker and industry expert. Walk away with clarity of voice, an effective message, and a valuable call to action to shift your one-on-one practice to global impact through digital workshops. Go to mentalhealthspeakerslab.com to register for the upcoming course opening. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we are going to be talking all about low-impact debriefing, a debriefing strategy that gives you freedom to debrief without sliming your coworkers or family. I've actually created a cheat sheet on the four steps that we're going to walk through, and you can download that at hopemadestrong.org episode eight. When you're a caregiver, like many pastors, missionaries, counselors, and peers are, it's as if we're wearing a backpack. And as we hear of people's sad and traumatic stories, we are taking the weight of their stories and filling up our backpacks. At the end of the week, we're carrying a lot of weight. One of the ways that we can unload some of that weight is through debriefing. However, when we start unpacking those stories and release the burden, we can unintentionally just be passing on the weight to our coworkers or even to our spouses. No one wants to do this. So oftentimes we don't say anything at all and just continue to carry that backpack and its weight grows with every appointment and every support session. But let's start off with the basics. What is debriefing? And there are actually two types of debriefing, formal and informal. I know, rocket science, right? (laughs) Formal debriefing is more of a structured process and is normally scheduled ahead of time and often referred to as peer consultation or supervision or even critical incident stress debriefing. And informal debriefing often takes place in a rather ad hoc manner, whether it be in a colleague's office or in the staff lunchroom or with your spouse at the end of a long day. Now, there are benefits and challenges to each type of debriefing. The main problem with informal debriefing is that the listener or the recipient of the stories or details rarely has a choice in receiving the information and therefore they are being slimed rather than taking part in a debriefing process. Now the challenge for formal debriefing or pre-booked peer supervision is the lack of access. When you've heard something challenging during the day, it's really beneficial to talk about it with someone right then and there, or at least within the same days. But if supervision is scheduled once a month or even once a quarter, this can feel like a lifetime. So instead, you just grab the closest trusted colleague and unload on them. The second problem for some of us is the lack of satisfactory supervision. Sadly, many helpers have access to little or poor quality supervision, so we really have nowhere to go with our stories. But debriefing is valuable and really important, and here are a few reasons why. In a broader sense, debriefing closes the gap of the cycle of learning, and this can be applied to just about any activity whether it's a project, new learning, or even a job, by reflecting on the experience and the skills developed, awareness and insight grows and can be 
and that can inform future projects or jobs or activities or whether whatever you're doing. Another reason is for many supporters, we can work with people with a huge variety of needs, leaving us feeling as though we have been pulled and pushed in many directions. Oftentimes, caregivers are learning new programs, new systems, and are supporting people through very unique situations. So it's really natural to want to connect with others, to debrief, to seek peer insight, validation, collaboration, or even problem solve. Another reason why debriefing is really important is that there's a natural distress response that can happen to those who have been witness to suffering or trauma. Debriefing actually lowers the impact of the stress response and helps in processing the challenging information. And this is used in critical stress debriefing. However, hearing the hearing of trauma is similar to that of secondhand smoke. In, in what I mean by that is that the counselor or supporter is also impacted by hearing the trauma or he, listening to the stories, and they too can experience a stress response. And then finally, debriefing is a really important tool for supervision. It allows for personal and professional growth through reflection, and it allows the supervisor to check in with their carers or their helpers to see how they're doing, fully knowing that the risk factors for caregiving is burnout and compassion fatigue. So it's really natural to want to connect and debrief with colleagues or our family members or with supervisors. And the process of debriefing is really important. Just about everyone in the helping role can remember a time that they have unknowingly slimed their colleagues, friends, and families with stories that probably had more details than necessary. I know I've had my fair share of shocked and blank stares when my response to the casual question of, so how was your day, included a story with a few too many unsavory details. And this is what I call sliming. It's the kind of debriefing that happens without warning or without permission and generally leaves the person receiving the information feeling as though they now carry the weight of this information. And it's important to note that sliming is contagious. When we have been a victim of sliming, we tend to want to turn and slime others, offloading that weight we have just received. But I want to introduce you to a strategy that prevents sliming and promotes a healthy workplace. It's a concept by Lori Ann Perlman and Karen Sfakny called limited disclosure or low impact debriefing and is used to minimize the passing on of trauma by helpers who are informally debriefing with others. For those of us who spend our days supporting and helping others, we can often become numb or desensitized to trauma, so we're not aware of how shocking or how distressing it could be for others. Or maybe you're the opposite. You're very aware of how distressing the stories can be, and you hold it all in, feeling like you can't share it with anyone. But this can become a heavy burden and can feel extremely lonely. Low impact debriefing gives you the freedom to be able to talk and share with others without fear of sliming them and still provides you all the support and care needed in sharing about the difficult work that you do. Low impact debriefing involves four key steps, self-awareness, fair warning, consent, and then the debrief called limited disclosure. And you can get a cheat sheet at hopemadestrong.org episode eight with all of the details. Self-awareness is the first step. It's important to know what we are needing in debriefing. Oftentimes, I just need someone to validate my work because I feel helpless and frustrated in the situation. Therefore, sharing the details aren't really necessary. Other times, we need help with problem solving and a few more details may be needed. 
Like I mentioned, when you are surrounded by needs and suffering, you can be desensitized by the stories that you hear. But in this first step, try to become more self-aware of the stories that you tell and the level of details that you provide. Ask yourself, were all those details really necessary or could I have provided less details and still received the support I needed? Now, the second step is fair warning. In everyday life, when we are about to share bad news or something difficult, we often give small warnings that something negative is coming. We say things like, I have some bad news to tell you, or you better sit down, I need to talk. This allows the listener to brace themselves, to hear what you're going to say. The same principle applies for debriefing. If someone asks, how was your day, and you share the graphic details of your day spent bedside at the hospital without giving them notice or warning, the listener may be startled. It's important to provide fair warning to those we're going to share and debrief with so they can ready themselves to hear what might be a difficult situation. Now, the third step is consent. After you've given fair warning to the listener, you need to ask for consent. It can be as simple as saying, hey, I need to debrief with you. Is this a good time? Or I heard something really hard today. Could I talk to you about it? The listener then has a chance to decline or to qualify what they're able and ready to hear. For example, a family member might say to you, you know what? I'm right in the middle of something. Can we talk later tonight? Or a coworker could say, you know what? I have 15 minutes so I can hear some of the story, but would you be able to tell me about what happened without any of the gory details? And this is where people can set boundaries and they could say and they can respond to you saying, if this is about children or, you know, insert whatever trigger they have. If this is about children, I'm probably the wrong person to talk to, but otherwise I'm fine to hear it. No one likes to get bulldozed when someone says, hey, got a minute? And they don't wait for the answer, but they rush right into the story. Giving space and permission for the person to give consent builds trust and removes any guilt from from you for sharing because they have provided you with permission and boundaries. Now, the fourth and final step is limited disclosure. Now that you've received consent, you can decide how much of the story you're going to share. Imagine your story being contained inside the circle. When you share your story, start on the outer edge of the circle, which is the least traumatic information, and then you slowly move around the circle, gradually moving inwards towards the very core or the very traumatic information, giving opportunity for the listener to control the flow of what you're sharing. I feel it's important to know also that confidentiality of the person you're supporting is really, really important. Respecting their privacy is our ethical responsibility. Oftentimes when we're working in small communities or in churches, everyone knows each other's business. So privacy and trust is a real priority. By starting on the outer edge, we can speak in vague terms. For example, when debriefing with your spouse at the end of the day, you could say, I met with someone today who shared some awful things that happened to them as a child and made me feel so sad for them and angry that I couldn't do anything about it. Details of the trauma were minimal and they were able to share about their day and how they felt about it without breaking confidentiality or burdening the listener. When you have used the low impact debriefing strategy, you are aware of your own needs for debriefing. You have warned the listeners so they're able to brace themselves for what they're about to hear. You've gained permission and boundaries and you, st- and you started the story on the outer edge with the least amount of graphic detail. This process gives you the freedom to share and allows the listener opportunity to ready themselves and limit the content according to what is appropriate and what is needed, respecting both their needs 
and yours. And if you're someone who holds all the stories in, try utilizing these strategies so that you can find freedom and not bear the weight alone. Or if you are a slimer, don't worry, my friend, you're not alone. Many of us are. But the next time you're craving to debrief, put to practice those first three steps. One, self-awareness. Two, fair warning. And three, consent. Then start on the outer edge of the story with the least amount of details. Hey, thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into practice today. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? And don't forget to grab that free download at hopemadestrong.org slash episode eight. And if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you click follow. Thanks for connecting. Take care.